of like dragon like sun father sun podcast talking dungeons and dragons that's right fifth edition first edition second edition we've been around well no. i've not been around but collectively we like to compare the old and the new see what's hot what's not and, and today is special yeah look we have we've been at this for a while so yeah. if, if you're just tuning in now welcome but hey guess what there's like a hundred episodes now it's crazy crazy to imagine 100 episodes of us mm. talking D D. triple um, digits and we play D D clearly a lot mm. and over the past couple of years of doing this podcast and playing loads of D D and lockdown and various campaigns and running campaigns and playing in people's games and playing online and doing all that stuff you know we've we've amassed a lot of of wisdom pearls mm. of wisdom sure which we will dispense for you over the next several episodes. That's right. Think of this as now a bit of a four-parter, five-parter, however it might it, We'll go. see how it goes. Um, um, but we have, we've compiled a, a mega list mm-hmm. of 101 things to do in D&D before you die. Yes. Um, these are some things we've experienced or perhaps want to experience again or the first time things we've done Um, that we think are awesome and that you should try too um and and we want to sort of challenge everybody like you know how many how many of the things on this list have you done and how many will you now have a chance to do you get a you get a point for every one of these that you you could say yeah yep done that been there done that got the t-shirt cut the sleeves off mowing my lawn in it yeah i'd be impressed to see if I don't know if even I've done all 101 of these. We've no, because some of them were like things you've done together, that you yeah. like, things that I've done that I've liked. So, yeah, I don't think I've got a perfect score on this either, but close to. Yeah, and let's see if we can get there Yeah, one day, yeah. all 101. Some of them are smaller things. All right, so without things, further ado, right? let's let's kick off this list sure. at, at number 101. Uh, play a campaign all the way to the end. Yeah, many players will never see this happen. I mean, it's so easy for the scheduling demons to arrive, and I've seen it time and time again in my own games where we don't reach the end. You know, the the quest is unfinished, whatever it might be. The story is unresolved. The characters don't find their end. Yeah, Um, scheduling will kill more campaigns than any boss. Uh, It's a real TPK. Yeah, but there's a couple of tips on this, though, as well. Um, First of all, what does it mean to say we played the campaign all the way to the end? For some campaigns, there's a clear end to mm-hmm. it, um, especially for ones that are pre-written. You might want to try and, like I've done, get your players all the way to uh, through Curse of Strahd. Um, and I say all the way, I, we still didn't do 100% of the written material. Um, we played what made sense for us for the story that was going to be told and for the players to develop. And I think we see that with Critical Role, their campaign two, they didn't play to 20th level, they just played to where the story made sense to end, which was around level 15 for them. 
Mm. You have taken players all the way to 20th level and beyond in a campaign. I have. Um, from 1 to 20. And that does seem like the ultimate D&D thing to do. Like, mm. can you play with players all the way through? And maybe, and maybe that's something out there, like, again, for for my fellow dads who are listening, if you've got, you know, younger kids who are getting into camp playing D and D carve them out some time over, uh, some summers and weekends of things. It's easier. I think somehow for when you're younger to be able to put together all the time that you need mm. to play that one to 20 as you get to become an adult and work and people moving and people getting yeah. married and people having kids and oh my, everything in life. Mm. Uh, is out there to derail your campaign but uh, it is very satisfying though to actually get it to a close mm. rather than have it just fizzle out fade away yeah and i've seen a couple campaigns end all the way through i don't know if i've ever been a player in a campaign that's like ended ended um that wasn't a, a sort of a mini series in between things yeah um that's something i'd like to experience as a player i've done it as a dm i think a couple times now but yeah it'll be it would be really fun to see a character um start it you know nothing in an end on on top of the world or i I don't know i've always loved the idea of doing it the other way around as well as they start with everything and even though maybe they're more powerful they've lost their whole past you know they have to sacrifice all of it to get there and what you know what is the cost but i there's something so satisfying about a story ending and i think that's something everyone should experience if they're getting into D D at least once you know, um, it's harder than it seems. Which brings us actually to the next one. You know, sometimes you might want to play a campaign. Sure. Um, but for various reasons, not the same character. Yeah. Now, this might just be your choice saying, hey, I'd like to change my character out partway through. Or perhaps... It's not your choice. <laughs> things happened in the game where things went terribly, horribly wrong. But at number 100 things to do before you die is basically to have your character die yeah have your character die and then make a new character to rejoin the party i've seen a couple times um and this is completely fair it's not necessarily a wrong thing to do where someone will die in a campaign and then we don't really see them again um and this is important to remember how as a dm to handle the aftercare of a pc's death mm -hmm. that players players can be very emotionally attached uh, I know I've, this has happened to me and I walked around for like a whole day afterwards just going what did I do wrong man I really like that was and I just like tra traumatized by it and you have to remind yourself that it's a game first of all mm -hmm. uh, and second of all like okay sometimes you it's easy to sort of say well the DM did it to me maybe in some situations they did hopefully uh, it was the dice that really did it to you that there is a random chance in this game that things go really badly. Um, yeah. And hopefully, if the DM's doing a good job of what they're doing, it's the dice that kill you. It's dice rolls in the or end. That it it really, you. that's, I think, a little going a bit meta. And it's a good one way to justify it. I don't think it's the wrong way to justify it. I mean, realistically speaking, it is the dice, right? But think of it as the story, right? Mm -hmm. This is a tragic end to a character's story. Yeah. It's not the end to your story as a player at all, um, or the end of this character's impact on the story. It's on the rest of the story. You know, like I think it's easy to, to have a bit of main character syndrome sometimes. Yeah. And even if it's the smallest degree, we can't help it, right? We live 
our lives and the only experience we have is is as our own as yeah, ourselves first person, right? right first person we've done it our whole lives and so to have your own character die and the story keep moving it's it's a little sobering in some ways in in a way that you get to learn that i'm not the main character and yeah. that's okay right well it, for some people it's not okay and this is important like I think or as it's, an it's hard to come yeah. to learn in terms with, and it's not wrong to push against that or want yeah, to no. continue. Yeah, and it's not—it's not wrong to be upset by it of either. Not, yeah. And and but this is also where I'm saying, if you're a good DM, um, do make sure you have a chat with your players afterwards. Make sure that they're okay about yeah. it. Um, make sure they have a chance to even vent a little bit at you because they're going to make the sometimes feel that you, maybe you did it to them mm -hmm. um and try to make make sure that feelings aren't hurt and invite people to come back and encourage them to use you know to use their feelings to try and help shape uh, a new character that you know uh, has some sort of maybe different relevance to the story mm -hmm. or even some connection to the past my last character death um which i guess it came as quite a shock i was i was like stunned by it um I then, I, I'd had this sort of funny little backstory that the character had been coming to look for his uncle, mm. um, never really thinking we'd ever find the uncle. And so then after he died, I'm like, I'm going to make his uncle and his <laughs> uncle will be in the dungeon alongside the other players. Then they sort of all wake up and I'll be like, okay. And the uncle then like, sort fun. of has to find out later on that his nephew did show up and died trying to find him tragic and it was fun it was it, it made was it made for a story yeah. that had more more stuff going on in it mm. um and it but it's tough i have to say like it was it was definitely tough going uh into remaking that character mm. so and that but, was just for mm. a short little like six part campaign so it wasn't it's a really unique experience though having a character die it's it's, it's not a, like anything else really in the game it's it's yeah. very there's not a whole lot of rules or like things kind of inform you how to deal with it. It's yeah. something that you just kind of have to no. grasp yourself, you know, like there should be a section of like mental health <laughs> care little, in, yeah, the, yeah, in the DM's like, guide about how to deal how to with feel these about it. Things. Of course, many, you know, areas in, in many campaigns, you will be able to be revived. And I think even if you die and then, you know, are revived as the same character, I'd still encourage you to play the character a little bit different. I think going back to the old ways, there's some sort of a learning. There's something you, that happens when a character dies, and even if they're brought back from resurrection magic, um, I think changing a little bit afterwards um, really sort of keeps that impact, right? Yeah. A lot of people say, like, well, what is the point of death if you can just be revived? I say bring a little bit of that change with you. Something that came with you from the grave, and it, and it it's altered your your personality yeah. a little bit. And it's important to remember in D and D, just the, like how the Molly all the all the storytelling aspects of the game cool. are the parts that have no rules written down for them, sure. and you've got to go out there and just make up cool stuff on your own. Um, mm. Yeah, use that space to do something creative with. Yeah. Um, for ninety nine, number ninety nine on our list of one hundred one things to do before you die. DM for at least one session. Yeah, for at least one. Uh, mm. And if you can get away with only one, good luck to you. Mm. Um, everybody's like, "Oh, I hope I'm a good DM, and I'm going to work really hard, and I'm going to prep, and I'm do all this." And if you and anybody who goes at it with that approach typically is going to be a good DM. Of that's that's all there is to it. Is the will and want to try and pull off a really good session. Yeah. And you may be nervous and freaked out, and it might not go exactly as you expected. But trust me, it'll be good enough. Yeah. Because everybody else at the table doesn't have to be the DM. And they're all going to be like, I get to be players and I get to have fun. I don't have to worry about one character and I don't have to worry anything else. And I can just like yeah. do my thing out here and bond mm. with my other players. And um, and then what happens 
typically if you do if you do a good job once <laughs> mm. people are like hey do you want to dm again yeah and then like, the why ne- not well because you've got a little bit of experience in your belt and you're like, oh i'll try it again right? and then here the comes first session is the hardest for sure yeah well but here comes then the, the real challenge after that mm. is uh can you dm then for another 99 sessions right um how long can you go before you burn out as a dm <laughs> burnout is a i think a real thing me too. Yeah, you have to face as a DM. I mean, for sure. There's some times where I'm like really motivated to write for a session. And there's some times where I'm like not motivated at all to write for a session. Yeah. And it, it sort of ebbs and flows. Um, sometimes I prep always like the night before or the morning of because I'm just so many other things to think about. And then, oh, yeah, I'm a DM, you know. You almost forget about it for a second. Sure. Um, uh, which also, though, has taught us that sometimes you can get by with more improv than you think mm, you can. Yeah. And that we often, you've been building your own world, so you already know everything that's kind of going on in well, it. We'll get to building the world um, in a second. But. We will. And uh, I've been running Curse of Strahd for a second time, mm. which is great because I already know the story quite well. Yeah. And I have all the maps already and I have, you know, I have everything that I need. So prep wise week to week is much easier and so sometimes, yeah, but the first time around, there was weeks where I was just like, oh my gosh, I just I don't have time to get all this together and I'm so mm-hmm. stressed out. This time I'm much less that way. Um, I really feel I can, I can because, of, because I've basically done two years of prep work <laughs> by running a campaign once. Yeah. I now, you know, week to week, although things are different. Need two years, things are different. Right? In, yeah, you don't. But things are different in this campaign than they were in the first, but still there's enough similarities in terms of, especially when it comes to prepping for fights and battles and maps and all of these things that you do as a DM, um, when all that work is just kind of sitting there all ready to go is, mm. I mean, you might have to scrub a map and sure. reset it, but. I think there's a truth in that even outside of just using the same setting, right? Or the same adventure module, right? If you've made or run something in a previous campaign you've DM'd for, you know, steal from yourself a little bit yeah, absolutely I mean, steal it, from yourself like it's all work, work you've done already yeah. if you can just use it again another campaign and entertain another table full for of sure. people if it's, if it's the same people and they're gonna yeah you can't jig, obviously yeah you obviously, can't do the same people sure. again but if you're playing D with multiple groups of people yeah. or pu- put a new coat of paint over it and most sure. people won't even recognize well, it i find that as a dm as well like i i get bored I can't run exactly the same Curse of Strahd. Like, I've changed things since the first time. Things that I thought, oh, it'd be better mm-hmm. if I do it this way or change that or whatever. And, and things that are just inside jokes for myself that are just amuse me. Um, and the players will yeah. never even know about it. One thing is you're never going to be a good DM if you don't DM at all. Um, yes. Well, and which... the, the player base needs DMs. I mean, you see it online and at, at tables. Like, someone needs to step up and take the mantle as DM if you're going to play D&D, yeah. right? I mean, there's other, you know games out there uh, rpgs where you can like there can be no dms or gms or sure. or everyone takes a role in, in playing that but there's something special about that dynamic um that is very unique to dungeons and, and a lot of and people think of it as oh or my gosh it's other, such but. a chore to have to do all of these things but you and i disagree and which brings us to number sure. 98 on our things uh, 101 things to do in D before you die mm. which is build a world from scratch yes this one I've done mm, a couple times. The real thing is finishing your world. You can build the beginning and be really excited and then kind of burn out a little bit. But My advice is okay. to build what you need. Build it's what you need. still okay. I still think, I think even if you build worlds that nobody even plays in, it's still fun. And I think oh, this, sure. is, this is maybe the thing that some people who are natural DMs maybe gravitate towards doing a little bit more. They're thinking, oh, I, I have this idea. I want to make this world. And so you can sit down and look, 
you can there's lots of tools if you're somebody who wants to build really cool looking things um we'll actually get into some of the tools for that in a bit but just even sitting down and just writing up what are the things that make my the world i am i've got special you mm. know i just need a need a map or maybe i've got a whole world maybe i'm starting the whole thing maybe i'm building pantheons maybe but whatever you're building you're typically doing it for yourself to start with you're doing it because it's fun in your own head Mm -hmm. to dream up your own your own Narnia, your own sure. Faerun, your own Exandria, your own whatever it is um, right. with its own conditions and its own things that make it special that you think oh, that's cool and that's fun and that's cool to do. Um, and you don't actually need a table full of people to play that. You can yeah. do world building all by yourself. And then you could write a whole novel about it and just be happy with that world the way it is, right? Yeah. Um, maybe nobody even sees it that much or maybe you sure. only play a tiny play test a tiny corner of it at some point yeah. um, so. it's still an exercise in, in just creative energy and developing stories and systems and places and even if you never use that setting again steal from yourself you know like oh I know I've never really made use of this setting even though I poured so much time into it can I lift an idea or a name or a you know like a some sort of concept out from it and put it in this world or something that I learned, right? I think a fun part of world building sometimes is, is research and learning about things you didn't know about. You know, learning about certain cultures that you weren't completely unaware of that you wanted to learn more about. Learning about certain technologies or belief systems or whatever. I, I think it's a fun research opportunity as well as a, a writing, you know, stretching out the creative muscles. And it's, it's a skill that you will use as a DM even if you never use your setting, right? Being able to you know, using imagination to develop a place or a um, a significant person or whatever, right? Um, just flexing that muscle will always make it stronger. And even if you're like not ready to make a whole world or a story about a whole world, you know, start from just a little town, right? Or a little, you know, a bar, right? And yep. then you can start, start one tavern. tavern. Okay, well, yeah. Well, what does the who does the tavern feed? And you know, what is the you know that town all about? And what you know country is that town and how does that country you know interface with the rest sure. of the world and suddenly now you're moving and out and out and, and only I've, as far as you want to right? if you go back you and i've done some episodes where we uh we just used random tables sure we just rolled up a whole countryside setting with like its own little conflicts and stories and, and everything murder mystery and murder mystery sure. thing going on just by like rolling some dice on a random table and yeah. like you know sort of talking it through and so and that and maybe that's something you could do with a codm or something as well you can oh, yeah. cook up a little world like that a little setting um 100%. and and that's often big enough to be playing you know many many weeks of adventures in oh yeah um and then from there who knows maybe your campaign survives and it can grow to something else or maybe you decide to um you know try something different after that point mm. speaking of trying something different maybe taking something and making it a little bit different. That brings us to our, our next idea, which is adapting something old into 5e. And you've got more experience with this than I do. I do. So the one thing about being older and playing D&D for a long time is that I remember things from the past that I thought, oh, that was such a cool thing when it came out. And and this, I play D&D with a lot of people who are definitely newer to the game. You know, they're fifth edition people. Um, they've been playing for a few years now, whatever. They're good at the game. Um, but there's some things they haven't seen before. Um, and so, uh, you know, I have a large collection of Ravenloft um, related material going back 
to like second edition and even first. And I like to do things where I, I find a little a little mini adventure, a little story or subline in from one of those sorts of things and then repackage it and plop it into my, you know, their campaign in, in the current sort of Curse of Strahd world. Um, bring things from the past sort of forward into it, get them to touch on it. Or I've, you know, just finding ways to, uh, like right now in anticipation of Spelljammer coming out, I've got some old Spelljammer modules that I'm converting and, you know, prepping uh, into sort of more of a 5e story. Um, and you don't have to worry too much about, am I converting this stuff perfectly? Take the, take the gist of what's going on in the story, work it to what you want, um, figure out whatever creatures are in it. Don't, don't have to worry about converting stat blocks. Just go find the new one or whatever mm -hmm. for it. Um, and, and yeah, just borrow from the past. Cause I think there's, there's something more than just, cause you're doing something more than just stealing easy content. What you're trying to do, I think, or what I'm trying to do with this, is to carry on a legacy to sort of show the um, show new players, you know, the the culture, the 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 to have them in, you know, share in something that other players have played long ago, mm. um, and now they have too, mm. and and I think that's. I think that's there's something kind of fun about that. Sometimes at the end of when I've done adaptations and people played through it, and I'll, I'll tell them afterwards, "Hey, you guys have now uh, done. We did a one shot that was basically an adaptation of uh, Escape from Treasure Island or whatever it's called, <laughs> um, an early sort of level zero uh, module. First time they'd ever done something like that, and I converted it into a. I don't know, we were playing level twelve or something, but <laughs> um, but it was actually it wasn't just an adaptation. It was like a a sequel that happened many years later, but it was based off of an old module. I mean, I could then say to the whole party, okay, hey, look, this is what that module was. And this is the destruction that came about. And now you're playing in that wreck of that. And everyone was like, Oh wow. Like it's cool there. I'm connected now to something that actually happened off the sword coast. Yeah. It was published 30 years ago. And now we've done something that connects back to that. I think it's a fun exercise in, in creating because as well, if you're struggling with imagination, it's kind of paying a little bit of respect or attention to the past of D&D as well. Like you can learn, you know, how did the rules used to work, you know? And you'll rediscover what some old psionic module like sure. we did. Or, there's, there's and some, then you turn it into something new, yeah, right? But it's there's like often in, in terms of uh, text blocks and interesting NPCs and characters and things, that stuff's pretty, you know, fun to yeah. take. And, and you can take pieces of it or the whole thing. Yeah. You know, it's, um, and, and I think, yeah, then you, even as a DM, when you sort of look back at those things and you bring them forward, it helps you as a, especially if you're newer to D and D, mm -hmm. recognize when you're looking at the big maps of of Faerun, of like the Sword Coast, and you're like, what is with all these islands over here? And you're like, oh, there's actually there has been stories written yeah. by the science, maybe not in five e, but there were stories written before, mm. and to respect that those stories existed and may have transpired already in in your world, and that you've got new adventurers heading out into these spaces, and you're like, oh, I know what hap used to happen here long ago, and we can tie that into. Yeah, and I think that's a, a fun way to add a depth to your game that pays respect to to the you know the source material, the to the history, to the culture. Oh, for sure. Um, paying forward. Mm. As, as 
you know, expanding on that idea, something that I've, I've had an experience with recently is introducing someone new. Yes, this is number ninety six on our list of one hundred one things before you die. Mm-hmm. Um, introducing someone new. Yeah, get the new get bring new players in. Yeah, I mean, not only bringing up the old and helping people remember it, but bringing new people into the fold as well yeah, and, of yeah. D&D. And not overwhelming them with all the... You'd be surprised how many people are open-minded. Uh, there's a scene from the recent season of Stranger Things where they're trying to get a new player um, to the table. And part of me kind of empathizes with the kind of the fear of in- inviting someone into what can be a very you know personal or vulnerable space for some people. Um, yeah. But I think it's it's a great opportunity, uh, especially with friends who are kind of on the fence. I have a lot of friends who are really into D&D and some of my friend group that are, you know, haven't chosen. They're like, well, I don't know if it's my thing or other reasons, perhaps, which they're they're reluctant to play D&D. Um, recently, I've got a, a closer friend into D&D when they would they weren't before, but they were into a lot of things like, you know, Dark Souls or Elden Ring or some sort of other fantasy RPG. Yeah. So and they, they've like, seen the video yeah. game version of they D&D. Understand. And all that, those video games, I mean, those things are all built off of this fantasy genre sure. of which sure. D&D was a, it still is a central plank to, yeah. I mean, it, you cannot underestimate D&D's influence in all of these games, right? Mm-hmm. So for, yeah, there's a whole generation of people who are just, you know, who've played the video games versions of, of all these things, but they've never sat at the table with a group mm-hmm. of other people and done it in their imagination. Yeah. And, uh, and, and really, so it's intimidating. It is. There are literally textbooks full of rules. Hmm. It's, it's definitely something that this is the, with the new player sort of voice to me is that they were a little bit too worried that they would be kind of all consuming and that it would be too much <laughs> to think about and that they'd, you know, go in too deep in, in, never come out and never come out right or like it would be so much to have to sift through uh and i I think there's some truth to that but i think it's ultimately worth it right yeah you you pick it up piece by piece yeah and even you and i still kind of learn by part of doing this podcast was still like to us to share with each other and Mm. those who anybody who cares to listen you know the things that we have been learning as we've been going and sort of staying on top of the new developments and, and and ideas we've had because there is there's a lot to catch up with but yeah you you definitely when you introduce somebody new to the game you want to keep it just keep keep it it simple to the basics right right you introduce it like why do the rules work this way you know or or like just thinking about the like okay well what are hit points and people will understand that right you introduce them with sort of equatable things that are on the number side and then through play they start to realize that it's more than just the number side of things this is more than just an exercise and doing some quick maths, right? Yeah. Um, and that there's much more to telling a story. And there's, I mean, one of my joys of DMing is seeing a new, a sort of click for a new player. And like, it's not always super serious or dramatic. And, and yeah. everyone kind of takes it, you know, we have jokes and we laugh and there's intensity. Yeah. And they realize that the choices they make, you know, they have, you know, they actually have more choices than just the whatever button inputs that they can do in their normal game I've, right and they can say whatever they want to say and it's, exactly. it's a lot of pressure and but I've, it's, well it's i've rewarding. heard this from so many people when i've i've got them playing it's a common line is after the first game them saying i didn't know i was going to laugh so much mm. they didn't realize that i was expecting yeah. that that the table can be quite funny mm. um and usually is um and at least my tables are we've always got groups and even when we're playing seriously there's still whether it's in character or out of character laughter um and and that's i mean gosh a table without any laughter at it would be 
would be, uh, I mean, that would be stressful, but I, I typically, yeah, I think people are surprised that it's as fun as it is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, yeah, nothing again, nothing in the rules says laugh here. You know, it's just these moments come up in kind of the weirdness or the silliness. Um, and that's why we sort of encourage, you know, new players, old players, whatever, to try and break convention and do something a little silly or weird, um, to have serious moments of, of feeling like a hero, but also not you know, taking it too seriously or being afraid to have some jokes. I mean, even if you look in the new Critical Role limited EXU Calamity series, which is prefaced as this dark, you know, whatever, dark tale of, of you know, defeat, there is so much laughter at the table that it's like, it's it's infectious, you know, and that's why it, it really works is, I mean, as viewers sometimes sitting outwards, it can, it can be tough with, with actual plays, but there's something about being at the table, um, which is just so, you know, there's so much joy so much laughter um and that's really one of my favorite things showing yeah, new players right absolutely. it's something you can't really communicate um yeah and it you know once once that's sort of been established at the table once you've got you know a group that you've played with before you can then start to take some chances take mm-hmm. some risks at yeah. the table and that i think takes us to number 95 on our list of 101 things to do in D before you die yes um playing a character of a different gender identity or sexual preference to yourself i think this one you got to be a little bit tactful but i think it, again it's an exercise in empathy more than it is an exercise in like oh look at me i'm being weird right yeah like we we talk about having a bit of silliness but it's important to pay respect if you are going to try and do this and i think it's important that you know you try and in in maybe it's for you a bit of learning again right a bit of understanding a perspective or a bit of you know um stepping into shoes that aren't just your own right i think there's another really powerful tool in D is that you can make the character anything you want it to be right absolutely and it, it doesn't need to be exactly you and in, in the first one again this you'll see with new players is they typically make their, themselves a heroic right? version of themselves um, yeah yes or a hexblade warlock um <laughs> one of the two and um then once you get comfortable with the game you start to realize that i mean i could play another Com- you, you can sort of push the comfort level a little bit right and you can be like well I, I wasn't sure if i was comfortable with playing you know this you know like a female character right i never really thought about that and like trying to explore what that character's life would be in, in a way that is again not you know disrespectful or showing like you know being like oh look at me i'm so funny i'm this yeah, I know, right because it's it's easy to do that you I could think. it's you really could. easy to do but that. i think that but yeah i don't think you're gonna I think you have to have respect mm-hmm. uh, for your own character if you have other people. I mean, you, doing a completely ironic, goofy character that you don't care about, that you're doing it to be mean, is terrible. Like it, it, Nobody's going to like what you're doing at the table. It's, it's going to come off gross and weird. Yeah. So, yeah, when you play a character of a different gender, um, you need to be... you need to be in that space. You need to be, you know, feeling the 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 pain and trauma and struggles and things in that that character's life and um yeah bringing that bringing that to your role play and, and that can actually be really i think it can be really great for as a person even just to sort of really open your eyes to mm-hmm. um to what we do consider gender roles or various sort of things and yeah. uh and yeah sort of break those down a bit and change things up and 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 yeah, it's uh, 
it's it, not, it's it, not it, a first it is character yeah, for sure. most people to do this. Oh, it, well, this I, takes, this wonder, takes a while, but mm. I've seen you know the players I play with mm. quite a bit. Um, oh, all the good ones do this. You know that I I know that I play with they they will switch back and forth depending and really the gender and I do this with my own characters, the character that I'm building. As I build the character, the the character informs its gender somehow. Like as I'm building them, I'm not consciously saying, "Oh, I want to make a female character." I'm building a character, and it just seems like at some point in the build, I'm like, "This is a female character," and sure. and I and I have to play her that way, and she's going to be great. And I know, and and I just know how she's going to come off. I know what her voice is, and I know, and I just lot for me, a lot of it just comes together. Um, and I and and then yeah, and then I've got this female character. Um, but it's not. Like I start out going, okay, I, I'm making a female character. What should I make? Yeah. It, 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 it sort of the gender comes later. Mm. I think it's a really good exercise in because in in a lot of games, uh, some of my friends will be like, oh, I'm making this a female character because it's like you know if I'm going to be looking at them all this time, I want and I'm I'd be like, okay, that's a weird answer. But there's not that in in D and D, right? It's not this visual thing that you you see in a lot of games where you know a character might be what like overly sexualized or yeah. or made as this idea of attention and they're really not in D D. it again it's your own imagination and everyone will imagine them in the way they wish to imagine them you can describe them in a certain way but there's something very humanizing about that right is it it's not this is someone that you are embodying right and yeah. you can feel that it would be a little weird to feel sexualized yourself right and in even if you can uh, and I, I think it's 100% possible to keep yourself distinct, right? Just because you're playing a female character doesn't mean you, you know, necessarily identify in, in any way as, you know, feminine, right? No. It's, it's a separate thing from yourself, but you're momentarily stepping into those shoes, right? Yeah. And, and again, you empathize with them and you see them as human, right? You don't sure. see them as this avatar or this whatever, this eye candy. Again, that's something, again, that D&D I think is really interesting medium for storytelling in that you can really feel that these are people right because there are people playing them right um yeah that, i think that's a part of my recommendation with it as well um moving yeah this is it we've separated this next one out it, it kind of ties to the last one but 94 mm. is also to play different ages of characters huh. yeah 100%. which is a little bit of a different sort of well, it's a similar bent on it as well a little bit right but, but i'm particularly when i think of playing different ages i'm thinking of going kind of extreme with it i'm not saying like okay one time we play a 25 year old and the next time we play a 30 year old you know like no those are those are the same ages i'm talking like play an octogenarian or if they're a gnome or a furball or something play somebody who's like 600 years old right. um or if you're, I don't know if gnomes live that long. Furbolgs, maybe not either. Maybe we're talking 200 years. Elves could be 600. I don't know. Right. Um, but play somebody who's like, like really, really old in the game. And that mm. can be really interesting to talk to your DM about all the history you might know or all of these things. Or on the other end of it, which I've never actually done, but I've got a couple of character ideas for, play a kid. Yes. I've, I've had this idea for a while as well that I think would be really interesting. I mean, obviously, it's harder sometimes to imagine like a, some sort of nine ten year old barbarian who isn't but, a liability to the party yeah but somehow like a sorcerer kind of makes sense to me maybe or like mm -hmm. this again this kid gifted with little magics that's you know got a d6 hit die right um i think it's a really interesting idea to play around with again a role that you're is outside of yourself right um yeah but also i mean dnd has got these really ridiculously old age limits on some races. races yeah and you definitely want to talk to your DM about this idea um, because 
it, it might be fun for them, especially if they are their own world builder mm. and they are really into the history of their world. Say, like okay, I got a 500 year old character. What can I do to help, help, you know, co tell the story with you? What can I, you know, what can you give me about the past that, you know, isn't spoilery for everything, but that can help, you know, uh, when things come up in it, I can chime in with, you know, my, 500 years worth of enemies as well. Yeah, right? who knows? Contacts, things like that. And it's those are all really interesting things that... Or biases. Yeah, you know, we like, don't talk a lot about. Um, I think as, as players, you... Again, when you first start out playing, you're typically trying to pick somebody in the prime of their life who's super healthy, who's going to be yeah. a strong adventurer type. Um, some of my, One of my more favorite characters that I've recently played was an old crotchety gnome uh, who's, sure. you know... Sure curios shop has been sort of failing for years and was now having to go off to sort of find new artifacts yeah. well it's easier sometimes to imagine casters in the role of wizened old people because we typically take yeah. that idea of someone who's more elderly to have more intelligence or more information or knowledge or under or wisdom right um whereas we for charisma characters and even fighters we like to imagine them as yeah still at their peak athleticism and potential there and and are healthy um again i think sometimes it's maybe a little bit of an ageist you know understanding sure. that we have of of like assumptions we make um i i love flipping that around like playing these old you know paladins or whatever that aren't super huge or burly or muscly um but are still respected generals of their time i right? i love the idea or of uh, of somebody who's a bit past their prime who's hasn't had their plate mail on for many many years they're sure. playing armor and they try to get into it and they like put on a few pounds because you know you sure. do when you get older and yeah. uh and they suddenly a bit like right? oh boy this doesn't quite fit yeah, the way playing to. someone who's like had a family right like i think that's a really cute idea as well well especially like, for myself i remember when i was your age i every character i made was like 21 years old uh-huh yeah i see it at my table as well and and now I'm like, I, I almost find it laughable to want to play a 21 year old. Mm. I'm much actually more keen to explore. Yeah. The, the dad bod side of, uh, sure. of D and D characters, characters that have, that are imperfect, that have gotten to a point in their lives where, you know, yeah, they're still only like they're, you know, they're in their fifties, but only level seven somehow. Like, I don't well, know. Well, they've taken a break from adventuring, exactly. and they've, you know, and I think um, it adds like, cause typically again, we see, I mean, this is my experience. It's mostly parental relationships that a lot of these backstories originate on yeah, right? yeah. It's, it's someone young going off into the world discovering themselves um in a life outside of their own you know how they were raised by their parents or of course the parents are dead um i think <laughs> Usually there's the storyline the other way around is you're the parent right maybe yeah. your kid went out adventuring and now you're trying to figure out what to do you know yeah, like, they went adventuring and now you gotta go out after them or even just make your own or maybe you, you want to chase after them but you got to realize well maybe you should let them have their own path and i can have my own as well and we can still you know be in each other's lives but i don't need to you know be there plus one all the time <laughs> Um, or maybe another character at the play table in insists on playing their 21-year-old. And you're like, all right, I'm playing your, you know, how do you feel about me playing your old dad? Yeah. Or your, uh, it's interesting. It, I think it adds fun dynamics, again, in empathy and in, in having these fun, funny role-play interactions. Like, think about how much, like a 21-year-old adventurer trying to set their own path out and become a, a hero and gain... And they're also with their dad all the time, who's also trying to be an adventurer and is not particularly stronger than them. 
um i think it's, it's or their mother even or their mother or like again yeah whatever <laughs> or their grandmother be, or their grandma sure grandma's with them i mean the that's time. the potential of certain of these older races right yeah um, it's quite funny i think it's a very funny idea um and a lot of this like kind of idea of of playing around with things at the table can sometimes be assisted with tools that aren't necessarily online right i think we've become very accustomed to using D beyond or similar digital yeah. tools and they're great tools but i think bringing into the next point of something number that 93 on our and list do, um is play without digital tools try a bit of more pen and paper right yep. um i think whether it be note taking or physical character sheets or moving a little bit off of the digital space it can it can it does have an impact sometimes it does on the atmosphere at the table right yeah um and it's it is in my mind it's what i grew up with a lot more yeah and we got very good at drawing up character sheets nothing pre-made we just grab a line sheet of paper and very quickly scribble out our six ability score stats and name and ac and hit point box and could i could drop a whole character sheet in in sort of minutes really yeah um and and yeah and at that point, the interesting thing that begins to happen as well is when you're no longer tied to D&D Beyond, which we love, don't get me wrong, mm. um, but it's it's limited in what, what class can you play, what subclass. It's well, all it's all rules true. as written. Or, yes, you need to buy the books as well, right? Sure. Um, um, where if you're doing it pen and paper style, you and your DM can improvise a whole bunch of stuff. 100%. And it, it does take... I would maybe recommend, I actually don't know what I would recommend. I don't think one is necessarily better than the other, but they're different experiences. Yeah. The first character I ever made was on pen and paper when, I don't know, maybe about age nine or 10, you came into my room and we're like, all right, we're going to do that. I'm going to show you D&D. And you printed out the physical character sheet and you gave me a pen and you, you had a couple old books or like maybe there was some like, I don't even know if D&D Beyond was out, but you found some sort of online um, actually, no, I think it was, I think we had the, I got fifth edition when it the, just came the, out. Yeah, the player handbook. And, and the I was like, set. yeah, let's do this. Let's, I'm going to, the new edition's out, I'm going to introduce you to it. Uh, yeah, the new. And it, it was, yeah, life-changing, right? And it's something about being on the paper and you're like, what is a proficiency bonus and how do I calculate that? Yeah. And, you know, without the digital tool set doing it all for you, I think there's some part of, of critical thinking and understanding the system that happens that yeah. is, you're, you're robbed of a little bit. I mean, again, if you were to make your first character on on Genie Beyond, I don't think you'd be missing out much. I think just do the new player guide, and it gives you all sorts of toolboxes rather than you having to flip back and forth through these. There was a lot pages, of flipping, a lot of flipping through books, which yeah. is well, again what I remember from growing up. And I also remember like, oh man, character creation took like a whole day because oh yeah, we'd be like five of us with pen and paper ready to go. One book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's still the same, right? Unless everyone's bought a copy. Um, but this is also, the, I think, mm. where the improvising thing at the table started to come in handy as well, though. It'd be like, you know, okay, you're going to have this armor. You're going to, okay, you're going to be, so you're the fighter. Mm -hmm. This is what you've got. I'll give you some, this stuff. This is your sword. This is what it's going to be. Yeah. And, and honestly, the more experience you get as a DM, the more comfortable you can just get by just handing out things. And even if you get the numbers wrong, you're like, okay, here's your sword. It does 2d6. When it really maybe it should have done 1d8. You know what? Doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. matter. Roll with it. Um, the, your damage output on that, the difference is like one point. Like, sure. right. <laughs> yeah. honestly, I mean, honestly, not going to break the game. Um, you know, you start to get to a point as a DM where you start to understand that the 
that there's a sort of a range of things and as long as you're kind of in the middle of that you're good hmm. um and then how to balance it make sure the table's got fun stuff and yeah you can just wing it so much more winging it as you get more experience and yeah you could with pen and paper very quickly just sit there and go around the table and just explain to the character the so player's like i want this sort of character You're like okay do you like this idea how about this how about this and you just give them stuff and they go yeah that's great and you can mm. like ping back and forth and then boom character done yeah and you just move around True. and you're just done the thing i like you know. about yeah the thing i like about pen and paper as well is that it's encourages a little bit more imagination sometimes yeah like if you're going through D beyond it's so nice the way it presents everything towards you yeah but um, it also kind of railroads you and, and sometimes you're like oh i'll play a barbarian and oh i see the images it gives me and i see that yeah and it, and the books mm. are like that as well but yeah um there's certainly an impression or this path that you're going down that with i don't know with books sometimes feels a little bit less strict right i feel like i'm again back in the in the writer's shoes with pen in hand i can choose whatever i want right i mean there's nothing there's no buttons or select or limited options i have to click from it's me imagining right going back to that how does this look when i write it down you know i wrote the words down but what is you know if i were to visualize that or does it have to be the way it's described here there's something i think it, at least even if, i think giving it a shot um i still use digital tools as a, as a way to make everything faster for me and my players yeah. look there's but, there's a ton of things that digital tools are actually really fantastic and for. the reason why they uh, need to exist and why DD is stuck around i think is one of the more popular names, it's names, a digital system well right? that's that's true but also just other things that are outside that like uh, random name generating tools oh for sure oh what a wonderful thing that is i mean i just have like pre like generated lists that i've copied and pasted into <laughs> right. my dm screens or things so if i need a random npc name in the in the blink of an eye boom you before it. you would have to cook them all up yourself and yeah that's a hard thing sometimes to do mm. out of thin air eh, it mm. sometimes helps to have uh you know the tools there to to get stuff done so i'm not saying don't ever play with digital tools but just try Try a bit of a session maybe without them sometimes. See mm. how how the imagination and creativity flows differently. And I think another tangentially relating to the idea of using some other tools to guide imagination, I turn to the idea of using minis. Um, yeah. And that brings us into our next point, uh, number 92. And we'll try and, I guess, speed us up a little bit because yeah. we're nearly at 45 minutes. Yeah, Just, I think we're gonna be, this is going to be a 10-part series. Oh, God. Um, Painting minis. I think there's a joy in painting minis, and there's, of course, nothing wrong even if you don't have minis or if you buy pre-painted minis. Yeah. There is something very relaxing, even now having painted minis. It's been very nice about just having the perfectly pre-painted. Sure. And know, now people say, mm -hmm. well, I'm terrible at painting minis. Yeah, of course you are. We all are. Yeah. Nobody's, born Nobody's born good at painting. Like, good at painting minis. You get good at painting minis by doing more and more of it, by watching videos yeah. of it. Now, you don't have to paint minis to play D&D. No. It, 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 they don't have to go together. But this goes back to a little something I was talking about earlier when I was adapting stuff from old into the new. This idea of, of I think minis are part of the culture. There, There's a there's an experience to, the, if you've never sat at a table yet um, where the DM rolls out a map and places like monster minis on it and then if it's a really cool one everyone goes ooh, and picks it up and has a look at it before like, putting the it down. excitement of that yeah. whole tactical battle map with minis and stuff on it and the dm like, can tell you the story of how they had that made or ordered or how they painted sure. it or what the process and that's was not there to say and... the theater of the mind can't be wonderful as well or no, even course, very I mean, simple stuff we've all played yeah. lots of that but gosh cool minis on a table it's it's, it's like a, a fun experience it's like a rock star like event suddenly you're yeah. like wow this is like crazy i've got like mm. props and things and uh and i suppose it goes you know more 
maybe we should add this in somewhere at another point, but uh, we'll talk about it later is handouts and things um, go that along that line as well. But I was thinking on this one particularly about painting your own minis and maybe that um, that also tacks into uh, our, our, our next one. Um, mm. um, oh yeah. All right. We can do that one next. Um, but anyway, so painting minis is a lot about sitting down and learning, you know, some techniques and things like that. And yeah, you got to buy some paints and brushes. This is the DM. I think a lot of there's like often a responsibility like, oh, I've got to get all the monster minis and I've got to get all the collection, you right? You don't or, have to, but you can. Yeah, but it's often like, what is the player going to supply me with all my minis? Usually it's the DM who wants to amass this this sure. for their monsters or from what they have a repertoire of oh this is just a good skeleton or a goblin or goon i can throw out right and that's something that we're used to as well like maybe we have a set of like six you know guards with like steel and blue yep, or whatever we do and we've got a set of like six skeletons which are bare bones any and enemy, look we got right? a lot of minis but those um, those those, those ones get the generic most yeah, the generic ones the, right? the oldest ones i've had I, I, those are literally 30 year old maybe mm. more um maybe almost 40 year old yeah, some of I them just recommend those, um, really. but they're pewter minis that i've got from like way 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 back mm. um that i've been repaint like stripped down repainted a few years back and we just continue to use those like sets again and again it's amazing how much they get used sure. for but it's not only the dm that needs to get no minis no. if you're a player sometimes a really fun thing to do is to get some custom minis right. or or accessories for your which character. is number 91 on our our list here yeah um you know buy custom minis and we also said maybe custom dice sets we'll get to that in a second as mm. well well i mean but sort of accessories accessories for, character, for right? your character um the custom minis these days thank you uh if you've never seen hero uh, forge, hero forge yeah. they do color now so you don't have to paint if they you do, want is eldridge foundry another one i don't maybe. know there's a couple things so out you there. can or even just buy a a, a mini that's been pre-made yeah. uh, make, well, that's a f really fun thing to do get a box of like whatever assorted minis and then make characters off of those you right can. um that's another way to do uh, it and and you know the, the painting thing uh sort of just touch back on this a little bit is you know something that we do if you're also part of the culture that likes critical role um you can watch critical role and paint at the same time quite easily uh and get actually a lot of painting done and i know a lot of people who do this and it is we do it together even it is a great way to to really roll up your sleeves and get deep into the creative culture of of dungeons and dragons um mm. and yeah just the tabletop stuff aspect of it's great fun uh yeah and yeah as a dm you will go beyond just getting custom minis for your own uh character and you yes. will be buying minis to satisfy your campaign setting <laughs> You will um, be. You will be consumed. I expect that. Um, and who knows? It might go into you buying 3D terrain and all sorts of things. Like <laughs> we haven't the, gone there yet. Sky's the limit um, on it. Uh, but, you know, the, the buying dice is another thing that a lot of players enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. um, some people describe it as a crippling dice addiction. They can't sure. stop. Um, I like sites that let me buy not just a set of X number of dice, um, sets are usually what like eight dice or something now they used to get a couple oh, d20s with oh, it maybe yeah, you get maybe, a couple yeah, d6s sure. in okay. it it used to when we bought them back in the in the day be a six you pack. get six pack it was like mm -hmm. one of each uh, d40 the, 68 d10 d12 d20 that's yep. it and no d100 and my very first set the, the numbers weren't even colored in you had to color oh, they came with a crayon wow. and you had to color in the numbers on that's top of it. great yeah it was cheap um 
Thank you, Gary Gygax. Uh, the, uh, but today they come in all sorts of varieties and you can buy them. And I like it, like if I'm buying, making a rogue, which I've done, I, I have bought a specific rogue set of dice. Mm. Had a lot of D6s, extra D6s for sneak attacks in it. Uh, I've got a bard set, a lot of extra D8s for bardic sure. inspirations. Again, you don't need uh, to You do don't this, have to but... do this, but you can buy, you can buy sets that have extra dice you can buy dice extra uh, as you need them to fulfill the needs of a particular character. And hey, if you, if know you stop you... playing that character, those dice still are in your repertoire. And if you keep buying from the same website, you can keep buying the same colored ones and just add more of the different types you need as you go. Or whatever, right? Like you amass this fun, colorful collection of dice yeah, or of do. minis, right? There's well, times where I've played we... in campaigns and made a mini and the campaign doesn't go anywhere. And now this mini is whoever fun NPC I want them to be. Yeah, right? we have a lot of um, old uh, old character minis that are are now NPCs. I think that's actually one of the things, oh, man, if you do invest all this stuff though, this adds more trauma to character death. If you yes, think I've, yeah. I've spent the money on th on these custom things and now they're dead. <laughs> I've been wasted the money. No, the mini's not wasted. The mini, the mini will be forever. Yeah, Somebody will be else will forever. play it down the line. It'll be great. Don't worry about it. Yeah, of course, right? I mean, I think about some examples like I used to play this Air Genasi, you know, divination wizard and and they've got this staff and this fun and then now down the line even years later and i'm i'm not playing this character and i still use the little mini right for someone who wants to play a sorcerer or uh, some sort of wizard or some sort of caster or even like a monk it looks kind of cool right i mean be creative with how you want to use these minis i'd encourage you you like the initial impression is to make the mini as unique and obviously, this character is possible. I encourage maybe be a little bit more generic, right? Don't be exactly on the dot, or or have make a mini that has versatile use, right? That's you know obviously some sort of powerful mage, but could be another kind of powerful mage, you know, and work in other scenarios. Um, that's I guess another little tip there, um, which I think is a fun one. Um, we're nearly at the hour mark, but I think maybe we could squeeze in couple more really couple quick. more um one thing that I'm, I'm honestly surprised that i hadn't done um and that a lot of people don't do is they never really read beyond some of the basic books and this is especially true with the digital tool sets yes right? digital that, tool sets mm -hmm. you hunt and find things as you need them you don't sit and read through it in chapters and you mm -hmm. realize when you get the physical book and you start going through it chapter by chapter how much amazing stuff yes is in there there's so much inspiration this is especially true i feel of the dmg yeah uh, the most overlooked document is clearly the most important one so and, much cool and also goes to show you how easy it is to run this game without knowing all the rules mm -hmm. because i know many many dms who have been playing for ages who then go hey I found this thing in the Dungeon Master's Guide. And you're like looking at the old book again, were you? Or you Very read it inspiring. once ages ago and you forget about it or whatever. Or you and I have even done podcasts where there's like a whole bunch of kind of optional appendixy stuff in the back that maybe nobody's looked at for a while it's very cool and, and it's, it addresses so many things which you see like people like oh i wish they would do it's like well where do i get my random tables generate you know a dungeon there's a whole section of that on the dmg well how do i make this cool npc there's a whole section on that in the dmg yeah, how about know? making a monster how about making a spell it's like well if i wanted, if I wanted to uh... make a bunch of japanese inspired or like you know different you know kinds yeah, of weapons it's, it's like too. yep there's a whole table you know of corresponding you know what you can turn a long sword into or in different colors i mean again these are just names we put on things temporarily that sure. kind of make sense you can switch those names around you can do lots of things and and 
the creative juices that get flowing just by reading you know especially the dmg or you look at something like the recent van richtens or sure. even like a source book um adventure oh, yeah. book um you you'll be inspired to just be we, like oh we, that's a cool we go through it once early when it comes out and we're table, like oh or, yeah this is cool this is yeah. a great idea and then you kind of forget about it especially when you're old like mm. me things don't stay in your brain sure so for me picking the books up again going back through and i go oh yeah right mm. that's a good thing and then you know and even I mean, if it's not a physical if you don't have the physical copy even on D beyond right I, I know i mean having the privilege to be able to you know have the book in hand if you have have a local library i would you know check do they have any of these books sure. in them i mean it's not a too much of a stretch yeah, it's interesting uh your school um has had sure from people i play D with right uh, they donate books, books donated right and if you've got uh, lots lots of books on hand and you're never using them or if you have copies or yeah i mean consider donating to them to yeah. a local library or school or well, wherever we've we've come across we've come across having uh, the good fortune of of getting some of the limited edition cover uh versions you of books, seem to be very which interested i'm, I'm very that. interested in which means that i now have a older co the copy of the you know regular cover ones and i'm very happy to donate make sure that it, yeah. yeah it gets passed forward and maybe who knows somebody stumbles across it and can read it and discover all sorts of new things but yes if you've not really read the dungeon master's guide dm out there hey go what get do some reading yeah do a little bit of reading Pick i a mean chapter. i'm sure you could find it somewhere online even again again try to think about like a cost affordable option sure. right if you, I'm sure there's a place you could find it. But yeah, I mean, if you can, not endorsing if it, you can, and if you can, you know, pay the creators. Ask a friend. Ask a friend. You know, you please know, do, but yeah, support the content that you enjoy when you can. But you know, find a friend who has a copy or a digital yeah. or whatever. You know, if you if you're playing D and D online with someone or using digital tool sets, there's a chance that they someone in your friend group might own a copy. Yeah. Right, and there's digital um, sharing through course, campaigns yeah. and stuff, so mm. uh, you can do that. I think. Let's do one more. Well, actually, we're nearly at the hour mark currently. Do you want? We've done ten. ten. Okay, so this is this is where we're going, folks. Uh, we weren't sure exactly what this was going to look like when we set out to do this. Mm. Um, all right, so this is going to be a ten parter, uh, or maybe not. Maybe we'll speed up. We'll speed but... up a bit, maybe less than that. But mm. uh, yeah, uh, I hope some of this was inspirational. Yeah, maybe we'll try get out there and see if you can cross off all ten of these things uh, before our next episode oh, uh, oh, comes out building an entire world <laughs> yeah why not paint some minis while you're doing it sure um yeah some of them are easier harder again these don't don't make you valid as a you can be do none of these things and still be a valid D, &D player i think these are just fun things that go beyond right the the oh, yeah. average right uh, i my suggestion is that the more of these things you can try uh the more it will bring joy to your game. You know, the more it'll shape your D&D repertoire and experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, folks. Have a good one. We'll see you with uh, number 89 very soon. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.